Hello, everyone, and welcome to the San Juan Snowcast. I'm your host, Chris Dixon. Today is Tuesday, November 21st, 2023, and you're tuned in to Episode 2. Well, folks, it finally snowed. I'm recording this episode here on Tuesday morning, and the weekend storm, well, it finally left after a nice three-day period of snowfall for the San Juans. And it is about time. Things were starting to look bleak out there, people. But hey, at least now there's a fresh coating of white on the peaks, and just seeing that is making me unbelievably stoked for the winter to come. On this episode, we're going to do a brief recap of the storm, check out the state of the snowpack, and take a peek at what's to come for the rest of November before we dive into the top 10 coolest things that I learned from this year's fall season of snow and avalanche workshops. Yeah, that's right. There are whole conferences dedicated to nerding out on snow, avalanches, and backcountry touring. And this year, I went to three of them, including the granddaddy of them all, the International Snow Science Workshop. I sat through countless mind-bending presentations from Swiss researchers investigating super shear crack propagation via linear regression models, machine learning, and Bayesian networks. Yeah, it was complex to bring you 10 cool takeaways that hopefully provide a little glimpse into the professional side of the snow and avalanche world. Plus, who doesn't love a top 10 list, am I right? Anyways, the biggest snowfall of the season thus far, it just happened. So it's time to get our heads in the game. Folks, sit down, relax, and stick your fingers and toes into a bucket of ice to get fully in that winter mindset. The Snowcast starts now. The Snowcast is brought to you by Mountain Trip, the Silverton Avalanche School, and the Peter Ingalls Avalanche Education Fund. Folks, last year, we had four avalanche fatalities in the San Juans. One snowmobiler, two backcountry skiers, and one poor kid who was killed in a roof avalanche at an apartment complex near Purgatory. Man, that is freaking tragic. But I know of at least three more full burial incidents that occurred in our backcountry that could have resulted in more death had it not been for miraculous companion rescue efforts that ultimately saved the lives of those skiers and riders. The fact is, folks, our avalanche rescue skills are perishable. And the truth is that in many emergencies, we don't always rise to the occasion. Instead, we usually fall back to the level of our training and practice. And our response to the situation, well, it's likely going to rely on muscle memory that can really only be built through repetition. So, I gotta ask. When was the last time you practiced your avalanche rescue? How long has it been since you took your level one? Honestly, what have you actually done in the last two seasons to increase your avalanche education? Well, if you're struggling to answer those questions, then this is the season to step up your game. Because this game, well, it has life or death consequences. And it's not one that should be taken lightly. So sign up for a course today. Mountain Trip and the Silverton Avalanche School are two great local providers, and the Peter Ingalls Avalanche Education Fund can potentially help you foot the bill with a scholarship. Learn more by clicking the links in the show notes, and I promise you folks, it's worth it. Help me achieve my goal. No avalanche fatalities in the San Juan backcountry this winter. Let's do it together. Thanks.
Well, folks, it's finally starting to feel a bit like winter out there. Yeehaw! Let's kick things off this week by looking at the storm we just got and what it did for our snowpack. That's right, the biggest snowfall event of the year just rolled through the wands. And sadly, that's not really saying much because the high-end snow totals for this storm were really only in the 6-8 to inch range. But let's start with a recap of the action. Snow began on Saturday afternoon, delivering an initial pulse of a few inches to the higher elevations and a heavy dusting to the low country. Then snow picked up again with a second pulse arriving later on Sunday afternoon and into the evening. Most of the wands picked up another 2-3 to inches on Sunday night, but the northern end of the range near Telluride and Red Mountain Pass were favored, and they netted storm totals in the 6-8 to inch range by Monday morning. Now the nice thing about this storm is that it kind of lingered here for a bit on Monday, and at least at my house in Ophir, we picked up another inch, maybe an inch and a half to two inches on Monday morning. Now all in all, this storm delivered the most snow, like I said, to the northern wands, with areas around Telluride picking up the most snow in that six to eight inch range. And this makes sense when you look at the wind direction and the storm flow. This storm came in on northerly flow, and the winds were out of the northwest at many of the weather stations across the North San Juans. Now, west-northwest is the ideal flow for Telluride to get some good orographic snowfall, and that seemed to play out last night. The southern San Juans were a bit less lucky, with snow totals generally in the 4-inch range. Also, another nice thing about this storm is that it came in warm and finished cold. And when I measured the snow water equivalent of the white stuff right outside my house, I found that we got about a half inch of water in the new snow, and it was fairly light and fluffy with a density around 7%. So again, we will take it. Hell, we'll take anything we can get, because under current El Nino conditions, well, I'm just not that confident that it's going to be a super stormy winter. Now, that's just a hunch, and hopefully I eat my words. But like I said in the last episode, low expectations are easily met. Okay, well, this little injection of snow, it did boost our snowpack, a little, but we're still sitting at just 40% of our 30-year average across the wands. So I'd say the state of the snowpack is... Mm, meager at best. I actually got the first do you think there's enough snow to go skiing question of the season from a longtime listener. Shout out to Kim. But folks, I'm not quite sure we're there yet. Unless you have a secret stash grass slope that is north facing and also not that steep. Come to think of it, this might be the latest into the season I haven't skied in years. My whole thing back in the day was to always try to get some turns in the backcountry before Halloween and I had a solid five-year streak going on for a little while. But inevitably, those first turns of the seasons, (laughs) well, they always resulted in core shots and regret. So folks, I can't say I recommend it. Now, in my older years, I'm a bit more patient, and instead of forcing some early season turns, I instead use this time of year to do all the preseason preparations, like checking my gear, putting fresh batteries in the beacon, reviewing the contents of my first aid kit and repair kit, and making sure that everything is fixed and functional and ready to go for that first day in the backcountry. Now's the time, folks. Check your gear and get your pack packed. Because guess what? We've got another storm on the horizon. And this one could potentially, finally, push us over the hump and into the backcountry season. It's going to be sunny and dry for the next few days, but then a low-pressure system begins to materialize behind the Sierra and moves into Nevada starting on Thursday. The system looks like it could bring west-southwest flow into our corner of Colorado, and some decent moisture and cold temperatures will join in on Thursday night and into Friday. Now, as we wake up from our Thanksgiving turkey hangovers on Friday morning, we should be greeted with a stormy day, and my bet is that Friday will produce most of the snow out of this storm. 
How much snow? Well, it's going to depend on the flow. If southwest flow continues through Friday, then the area most favored by this flow is going to yield the highest totals. And that area, well, it's Wolf Creek Pass in the southeast corner of the San Juans. But if that flow shifts to coming more out of the west, then areas in the northwest corner of the Juans could get more out of the storm. All in all, I think a safe bet for this one is that most of the San Juans will at least see somewhere in the range of 4 to 8 inches out of this storm. But some favored and high elevation areas could potentially hit double digits and be more in that 8 to 12 inch range. Either way, folks, there is snow in the forecast. And going into Thanksgiving, that is something that we should all be thankful for. Funk break! Okay, well time to switch gears and talk about some of the cool things going down in the wild and wacky world of snow and avalanche workshops. For those who don't know, every fall, avalanche centers across the US, Canada, and Europe host snow and avalanche workshops, also known by their initials SAW, as SAWS. Here in Colorado, we've got FORSAW, which stands for the Four Corner Snow and Avalanche Workshop, which is hosted every year by the Silverton Avalanche School in early October in Silverton. And then we've also got Seesaw, which is the Colorado Snow and Avalanche Workshop put on by the CAIC every year up in Breckenridge. Now this year was special because the American Avalanche Association also hosted the first International Snow Science Workshop, aka ISSW, since the pandemic in Bend, Oregon in mid-October. The basic premise of these workshops is to get avalanche geeks together to discuss cutting-edge research, technological advances, and new and interesting ways to think about and deal with snow and avalanches. And with ISSW being held this year in the U.S., October was like an all-you-can-eat buffet for avalanche nerds like myself. My dive down this rabbit hole began with attending Forsaw in Silverton in early October, a one-day workshop. Then I flew up to Bend, Oregon for the week-long ISSW proceedings, and yes, was one of the many people to come away with COVID. Turns out the SS and ISSW, it stands for Super Spreader. But finally, I journeyed up to Breckenridge for Colorado's Snow and Avalanche Workshop in late October. All in all, these workshops made me realize a few things. First, just how many snow and avalanche nerds exist in the world. Two, the fact that they are mostly smarter than I am. And three, that the industry is really embracing technology and we are poised to see some amazing advances in computer modeling and forecasting in the coming years. In fact, technology seemed to be the ever-present theme and AI and machine learning are even working their way into our snow pits and how we track the layering of snow on the ground. But before I say any more on that, let's hit it. Here are the top 10 coolest things that I learned from this year's snow and avalanche workshops. Number one. All right, let's start with some local stuff. Folks, we've got new remote avalanche control systems installed on Red Mountain Pass. That's right. At Forsaw and Silverton, highway forecaster for the CAIC, Jeremy Yanko, announced that the first ever remote avalanche control systems, or RACs, were just installed on Highway 550 in an effort to better manage frequent flyer slide paths that threaten the road. Now, they basically put in two different systems, 
Um, two Gazex systems were permanently installed at Blue Point and the Blue Willow locations, and those remain in place year round. And if you've never seen a Gazex system, it's basically like a big candy cane looking pipe that directs the force of an explosion from a gas mixture onto the snow slope, thus triggering an avalanche. The other system that was installed were three Obelexes, which are placed at the Mother Klein slide path. Now, the Obelex looks kind of like a futuristic spaceship and delivers a similar gas fueled explosion onto the slope, triggering a slide. The thing that's different about the Obelexes is that they require helicopters to come in and change them out. Now, if you don't know, the Mother Klein path is the one down closer to Ure just after the turn for Engineer Path if you're driving south on 550. And the Blue Point slash Blue Willow paths are those steep road cuts you drive under as you get close to the top of Red Mountain Pass coming from the north. Cool new technology, folks, that will hopefully reduce road closures and keep our highway workers safe. Hmm, rad. Number two. Remember that crazy avalanche cycle we had in the spring of 2019 here in Colorado? Well, Ethan Green, director of the CAIC, headed up a huge project looking at the trees taken out by that avalanche cycle and found that the last time Colorado saw a similar cycle was in 1889, making that a 130-year avalanche cycle. The historical record kept by trees in their rings is pretty dang cool. And the general trend for large avalanche cycles, well, it's been decreasing in Colorado over the last 100 years, which makes 2019 even more of an anomaly, especially when you consider how many numerous D5 avalanches were recorded that year. And remember, D5 is the maximum destructive potential that an avalanche can have. So that really put things into perspective. Number three. Another cool thing that came out of Foresaw was we got to hear a presentation about the SafeBack system, which is this new technology coming out of Europe that helps prolong the amount of time someone can be buried under the snow in an avalanche. Remember the Avalung that Black Diamond used to make? The premise was that you put this breathing tube into your mouth, and if you get buried, you exhale through the tube, and your exhalations, which consist mostly of CO2, get exhausted through the tube and out the bottom of your backpack. This reduced the amount of CO2 in front of your face and thus reduced the likelihood that you were asphyxiated while buried. This new system called SafeBack SBX uses a fan to waft fresh air across your face while you're buried to flush out that CO2 from your exhalations. Two little tubes clip to the shoulder straps of your backpack and you turn on the fan by pulling a trigger on your shoulder strap, similar to how you would deploy an airbag. Now, supposedly, their studies found that it could potentially prolong the amount of time someone can survive under the snow up to 90 minutes. That gives rescuers more time to dig the person out alive. Now, I will say this whole system assumes a few things. One, that there's no trauma affecting the buried individual. And remember, trauma accounts for one third of avalanche deaths in Colorado. And also that uh, there's no snow plug blocking that person's airway. If someone is plugged up with snow, well, they can die of suffocation, which is no oxygen getting into the body, instead of asphyxiation, which is the rebreathing of carbon dioxide, which leads to oxygen deprivation in the body. Now, truth be told, the premise of the Avalon was sound, but it's just nobody wanted to ski with a plastic tube in their mouth. Now, the SafeBack system addresses this problem with the fans, but unlike an airbag, it won't prevent you from being buried. That said, it is lighter than an airbag, and it's modular, so it can easily be switched from pack to pack. Now, this seems like an ideal device for the Alps, where most of the skiing is above treeline and trauma is less of a factor in their avalanche victims. Time will tell, folks, but keep an eye out for this product coming out on the market next season. Number four, avalanche mitigation drones. Yeah, in the next few years, we're going to see drones that have the ability to drop bombs and trigger avalanches. 
Several companies are working through the process of gaining FAA approval to use these in remote mountainous areas. Think heli ski operations. But there's still no word on when we could have personal drones to pick us up and fly us back to the top of our favorite backcountry run. 5. Super Shear Researchers in Davos, Switzerland have found that on steep slopes, propagation, and remember that's how the initial fracture of a slab avalanche moves across the slope, has two components. The initial collapse of the weak layer, and then the shear force of the slab sliding downhill. Now, when the shear force takes over, propagation can communicate across the snowpack at speeds up to 100 meters per second or 223 miles per hour. That's super shear. And don't ask me more about it because the rest is way above my head. (laughs) Number six, radar. Also at Foresaw, I learned that we can use radar to detect avalanches as they are happening. And when that radar detects an avalanche, say high above a road, it can automatically do things like drop a closed gate across the road or tell a train to stop outside of the avalanche path. Pretty cool. Now, these automated radar systems are already being used to protect infrastructure in Europe and Canada from avalanche impacts. Maybe we'll see it soon in the States. Number seven, the conveyor belt method of digging is the fastest way to use multiple people to dig out an avalanche burial victim. And if you have multiple rescuers, you should start digging right at the probe. Now, if you've taken an avalanche rescue course in recent years, well, you were probably taught the conveyor belt method. It's where multiple diggers line up in a row downhill of the probe with about four feet of spacing in between each person. The first rescuer begins digging right at the probe and sweeps the snow behind them to the next person in line who repeats the process, thus creating the conveyor belt that moves the snow downhill and away from the burial site. Also, if you were ever taught to start digging 1.5 times the burial depth downhill from the probe, then just forget that. There's just not much time for math in the stressful moment of avalanche rescue. Instead, what this study found was that if you have multiple people, the first person should start digging right at the probe. If you're alone, just take a big step downhill and begin digging down and then digging forward towards the probe. This ultimately will create that nice flat platform in which you may have to do basic life support for your avalanche victim. The researchers in Italy who wrote this paper put many rescue teams to the test in digging drills and found that the conveyor belt technique and digging right at the probe saved about two and a half minutes on average when excavating the buried avalanche victim. Number eight, folks, craftsmanship in your snow pits, it does matter. Some avalanche forecasters up in Alaska conducted dozens of standardized snow pit tests like the compression test and the extended column test. And they found that if your column isn't square and symmetrical, well, you're going to get faulty results. So when you're doing your tap tests, if you're into that sort of thing, make sure to take the time and effort to cut your columns properly. Nine, snow pool. The CAIC debuted a new public surveying program at Seesaw that they are trying to use to improve their understanding of how we use and interpret their avalanche bulletin. Ultimately, the goal is for them to do a better job of delivering the message and for us to do a better job of receiving it. You can sign up to receive these surveys and give your feedback by clicking on the Snowpool link on the CAIC homepage. And last but not least, number 10. Folks, computer models are getting so advanced, they can now not only predict how much snow is on the ground out in the mountains, but also what the layering of that snowpack looks like. Yeah. Computer-modeled snow profiles can even show how the snowpack changes throughout the course of the season based on the available weather data and model simulations. Hmm. 
These computer models can allow avalanche forecasters to get insights as to what might be going on within the snowpack structure and parts of the mountains that are really hard to get to, which is pretty cool. But since these snowpack predictions rely on weather modeling, it's kind of like a guess based on another guess, which somewhere down the line is based on real hard data. And we've yet to see through field checking just how accurate these models really are. Still, it's pretty wild and definitely a sign of the times. Instead of going out and digging pits, maybe in the future, we'll just be flying drones into the backcountry equipped with penetrometer probes that can capture weather data and snowpack stratigraphy all on a single charge. Hmm. I, for one, well, I hope that day is still a long ways off. But hey, that's my list. 10 cool things that I learned at the three different snow and avalanche workshops that I attended back in October. Hey, if you've never been to a snow and avalanche workshop, consider checking one out for next fall. And if you're in the San Juans, well, you should definitely come up to Silverton for the Four Corner Snow and Avalanche Workshop. At the very least, you'll probably learn something cool. All right, everybody. Well, that's a wrap for this week's show. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, keep your fingers crossed for a big dump this weekend and be sure to feel some gratitude this Thanksgiving for being alive during the golden age of backcountry skiing and riding. The truth is we know a lot more about snow and avalanches and decision-making in the backcountry than we ever have before. And that's pretty neat. Just a reminder, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Snowcast, and feel free to shoot me an email at SamWanSnowcast at gmail.com. But folks, If I don't reply to your email or message right away, please don't take it personally. Believe it or not, I've got a lot going on besides this podcast, and I like to take my breaks from social media when I can. So I'll do my best to get back to you as soon as it feels right. And hey, hit me up if you want some swag. I'm going to be sending out some hats to folks who reached out to me in the next week or so. So if you're interested in a hat or a shirt or some stickers, just send me a message and we'll get it all sorted out. You can find more information on my sponsors and the music that I use on the show in the show notes. And hey, folks, take this holiday week to prep your gear. And also, sign up for an avalanche course. When it's finally time to strap on the boards, you'll be glad you did. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And until next time, think snow. Think snow.